Teachers need it, but you are here at almost 6 p.m. So thank you for who you are, but I'm not surprised because you're in education. You're a teacher. And when people would say to me, why would you leave a neurology practice? You're a doctor. Why would you change that to become a teacher? So my joke would be, oh, teachers, so much money, so much status, and you finish at 3 o'clock. <laughs> Definitely not why someone becomes a teacher. You become a teacher because it's who you are. And it's what I admire. And once I went from doctor to teacher, the people I like, my better best friends, were teachers also. We're a different group. We're unique. We're not after the newest stock market. So let's see what I can offer you this afternoon. This morning we talked about pleasure, dopamine, getting the brain to put in the effort with joyful learning. So let me remind you of what dopamine could help you, one, a learner, feel like. Imagine being this tired that you fall right back to sleep and you get up the way she does. I wish I could do that. Now, truly, I do not know her dopamine levels. Who would put a spinal needle and measure it? But that sense of, hey, things are good. I might go right back to sleep, but I'm ready for the next experience. That's something that we can aim to replicate now that we know things that promote the dopamine release and the benefits that come with it. The increased sense of pleasure, satisfaction, but the increased motivation, attention, willingness to persevere despite setbacks and mistakes, increased memory. That's a wonderful resource for us. Let's see what we can do as we share thoughts and challenges. Three parts. The first part. What would we envision as an ideal classroom with motivated learning going on? I'll share some things that I've seen in different countries, cities, schools, hopefully my classes. And I would invite you, with your interactive devices, to share what you have seen or would see in that environment. With the climate, with the dopamine from buying into the goal, personal relevance, and an ongoing process of achieving challenges with feedback of incremental progress. How about the first part? What if I see a wonderful example of feeling cared for and about the climate? In Melbourne, a very low-performing school brought in some strategies 
and one of them that I saw in action was an emotion wall. The kids would come in to the school in the morning and with their teacher, sometimes with the principal, the first thing they would stop at would be the emotion wall. So you come in, I'm the teacher, you point to either the expression or the word, how are you feeling today? There's no long interaction, there's no debate, there's no discussion, but simply the act of your teacher being interested in how are you feeling, listening, and your sense, these children's sense of knowing that someone cared, and usually the teacher would do some type of response if the student came in saying, I'm very upset, I'm very scared, the teacher is not going to choose on them all the time or scold them for their homework. They come in feeling the person cared about me and it takes only a moment, but it was powerful. What other things have I seen motivating that dopamine and the sustained active learning? Examples of people using high interest promotions at the beginning of a unit or a class, something that the student would buy into and find curious and know that they were going to get to make predictions about and also get to know, see, that's cool, that's going to be part of my learning today. Here's what. I would simply show that and then this, someone did the math. They knew they weren't going to really do that. They knew they were probably going to be graphing of curves, but that was pretty neat. And the sense that, whoa, that's interesting, fun, relevant, is their buy-in, their motivation, their relevance. This one, photographs of the previous year's students. So it takes preparation. This year, you take photographs of your current students when they're doing an activity that the next year's students will do. So if you have certain things that are part of a unit, when the students do it, take some photos. On the first day of the unit, you have a bulletin board with the photos up there. They come in the room, and instead of saying, oh, do we have to, usually there are requirements the first day, do we get to do that? And it could be photos of anything other than, than them just sitting in their seats. So there's buy-in when they see there's something active, and the surprise to me was what followed. They started identifying, oh, that's the person in fourth grade or ninth grade, a year or two ahead of them, at which point they thought that was really cool. We know how peer influence is important, and when they saw somebody they knew who was a year older, that made it more appealing. And they would see the person in the hall or at lunch and talk to them. Hey, what, did, what was that thing you did when you took that unit? So they would be interested because the older kid did it and they would take it out of the classroom. Peer power. All right, let's talk about prediction. I want you to feel prediction power because I'm strongly advocating it as a sign, a way to increase dopamine motivation. Let's see if your brain needs to know if a prediction you make 
is correct. You'll need something to write on and something to write with. You are going to hold your prediction up. I won't really see it. We're going to, I'll model it. You will experience it the way students would with the exception of I won't really see it, what you hold up, but I want you to feel what you'll feel by holding it up. So be ready to write something down. And the other instruction is when you've written it down, two things, hold it up, don't wave it up, just hold it up and keep eye contact with me. I'll acknowledge that I see it and then put it down. We'll see why it works or why those are the instructions in a moment. And it could be on your hand, on paper, your computer, your phone. I just want you to feel it. So it's independent work. You will only have 10, 15 seconds. Students would have the amount of time they need. Okay, here's a prediction for you. Would you rather have the amount of money if you started with one cent or one peso and it was doubled each day for 30 days? One, then two, then four. At the end of 30 days, you could have that amount of money. Or at the end of 30 days, you could have $500,000. So that's the first thing you write down. The second part of your prediction is estimate what amount of money there might be at the end of 30 days of doubling. Even if that is not your choice, you're going to make that prediction. Again, I won't see what you hold up, but be sure you write down two things and then you'll win something. Check it out, you'll win. It's cognitive, but you'll win something. Okay, so here's your assignment. Would you rather, two things, would you rather have one cent doubled, make a cent sign, or uh, the $500,000 at the end, just make a dollar sign. Then remember to write down an estimate, how much money, 30 days of doubling. Go ahead, write it down, hold it up, I'll nod and you put it down. I really won't see it, no one else will either. Coming out of the glare, so hold it up, I'll acknowledge. You can't lose this thing as long as you hold something up. Twenty seconds. You'll only win if you just do it. I don't doesn't really matter. What you write down doesn't matter, but you, the experience is yours if you write down two things. Hold it up. Let me acknowledge. Yes, got it. Thank you. Yes, good. Yes, got that. Thank you. you yes. Go across. Those, those, those. Yes, okay. Now moving here and I'll come back. Remember, I'm counting on you to write two things for it to work. Yes, got it. Got that, 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 yeah. Excellent. And over here, here. Yes, thank you. I love these different devices you have. Paper, tackle. Got that. Yes, thank you, good. Yeah, good, good, thank you, thank you, good job. And more, and look at this cluster. Excellent, now I'll give you uh, one last chance. Hold something up. If you haven't, that's yours. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, got it. Even if I didn't acknowledge it, if you held it up, you're ready to go. You made your predictions, two things, excellent. Ah, 
dyslexia strikes again, wrong direction. <laughs> Any remaining ones? Great. Then we can move on to the topic of the chemical formula for dopamine. Right, yes. So what did you win? You didn't get the money. What did you win? I will show it to you. You experience your brains needing to know, after you make a prediction, needing to know if it was right. That is so incredibly powerful. You knew you would not really get the money. And you knew if you were in my class that it was going to lead to some type of math. But your brain wants to know what I have to teach. So I'll show you the information, but hold on for a second to that feeling of wanting to know, even though it's not reality. As you get to see the five million dollars. But the power there is prediction. The brain wants to know. Dopamine comes even if your prediction is wrong, if you have a chance to revise, and the brain has experienced throughout development, the child has experienced that with a prediction comes some type, sometimes comes this good feeling. So even the chance of getting to make a prediction when the brain is aware of that, it even lets out a little dopamine in advance with that increased memory and motivation and perseverance. The brain loves its dopamine and is prepped to get it. Why did you need to know? Because pleasure of making a prediction gets rewarded. And the reason I had you hold it up, let me acknowledge it, was to reduce mistake fear. There was no penalty for making an incorrect prediction. There was no embarrassment or mistake fear because it was individual. And as with my students, they would get to revise. And what a prediction means in these terms, because it's true for other mammals, is any choice, an answer, a decision, a behavior, where you don't know exactly what the right thing to do or say is. So brain loves those experiences. Other ways to reduce prediction fear, for some students even just holding it up, being worried other people will see, or being worried that they'll feel bad. Even though the brain doesn't punish them, let's find ways to make them even more comfortable with making predictions, with what I call no wrong answer questions. So I would invite students every few days, not as a, I was teaching algebra, but I would invite them at the beginning to say, to answer something like this. Which seems more evident to you in this picture? Three legs or five legs? You could not say four. Which is more evident to you? And to get them comfortable with it, I'd say, who thinks three legs? And some people would raise their hands. Other people concerned of mis making a mistake would wait and see who else is raising their hand. So it was a gradual experience now of sharing their impression when there was no exact right answer. A few days later, I'd give them another one. And I didn't tell them this was to get over their mistake fear, just to feel it, which seems more evident to you, a duck or a rabbit. And they weren't 
permitted, I didn't, they didn't get in trouble, but they needed to say, which is more evident to you? It's personal, which is more evident? Once again, they would experience some people's impression and, their, and others that opinion and mistakes would be more uncomfortable. Which seems more evident to you, an old man, old man or a man riding a horse? And they so would want to say both, and I would let them, they're so proud, but I want them to be more comfortable making, mis making mistakes and predictions, so I say, which is more evident? There's no right or wrong. Which is more evident to you, a old couple or a seated couple? You see, I'll get it, that the two people show it, it, it inside the old couple's face. And people would start looking for more things. Oh, in that ear thing, there's a lady in there. So more evident made them recognize interpretation is fine. Which seems more evident to you, people or houses in the audience? Now, at this point, I would invite them to build their voice. Since there's no right or wrong, I would start saying, in which row, take the laser, in which row do you think it's most evident when it transitions from faces to houses? So they're building their confidence, their voice, and recognizing that mistakes or opinions or predictions are not the danger or meaning that they're wrong. Before we go to the next part, we go to this part that we just did. What are some of the things that you have seen, experienced, or done that seem wonderful at promoting the learning experience, the joyful learning, the environment, the motivation, the relevance, the buy-in? You now are invited to send in what you think an environment or a learning situation is that would be wonderful if you could have it all the time. Over there. Enthusiasm, yay. Motivation, enthusiasm, more interest, engagement, acceptance of failure as part of the game, yes. If you wish to um, participate, you can see on the screen there's a, a, a website you can log into, use that code, and you can type what you think that question suggests. And then Judy will be reading them out and saying what she thinks about it. Remember, there are no wrong questions or answers. I know you've done things that you felt that sense, ah, oh, they got it, they're joyfully learning, they're engaged. You saw that it was the right amount of achievable challenge or differentiated. And when that happened, the responses that you have 
written in here, it happened. They were engaged, they weren't looking at the clock, they weren't acting out or zoning out from stress. You've seen those moments. Hopefully now you're seeing more of the tools to promote them with personalization, with dopamine boosters, music, movement, interaction with peers. The, these are the outcomes you've seen. And one of the big tools toward it is the dopamine boosters, prediction, different views, more opportunities, opportunities to make mistakes and revise, not just one chance, not just one answer. What else, rather than what is the answer, when students know what they bring up is an answer? Different perspectives. Tolerance, perspective, cognitive flexibility. Active learning, motivation. Some students bringing books, others devices, others magazines. Yes, the different routes, the different pathways to mastery. Not everyone will go at the same rate or else they'd be bored or frustrated the way you might have felt with that physics question. The water level goes up, goes down, you cared about it, then you didn't because one size doesn't fit all. So no doubt you've seen it, you've felt it, you know what it would look like. Now let's take a look at why doesn't it happen all the time? Why can't we make this experience all the time in our classes? It's, we know the goal, we see the outcomes. What about interventions and challenges? So we, we know what we want to go for. What are the gaps? What are the challenges that limit you from achieving these ideal learning experiences and outcomes. I will indicate a few of what I feel the, the gaps are. The third part will be interventions to bridge the gaps. So my observations, then yours, but put them in at any point. I feel some of the biggest obstacles to being in that ideal state, overpack curriculum, way too much, with more technology, we keep getting more and more information. The books get bigger. And there's the challenge of changing information. If, as some people say, the facts that are true when someone enters kindergarten, 50% of them will have changed by the time they graduate high school. So as they're learning, memorizing, being tested, these things are also changing. It's demanding, it's challenging. There's much more to learn. I think when we were in, even I was in high school long ago, the amount of information is bigger. What else is keeping us from reaching that magic moment? Not enough time or support to plan those various pathways for achieving mastery those different websites they can go to, the five levels of reading, the flexible groups, the flipped classrooms, we know it would be great, but to do that for every unit all year, impossible. But we need to find collaborations to get there, but why aren't we there all the time? Because we don't have the time, the support, and the collaboration opportunities. We know it would be good, but it's not always there. And how about memory and memorization? 
As you saw this morning, you might have learned for a test that Archimedes will rise, fall, or stay the same, but we didn't necessarily, I didn't construct understanding of it. I left with some grade on a test only to not remember it. That summer slump where I've even shown students one time uh, in fifth grade, I remember bringing up, hey, we're going to do some least common denominators to add fractions, just like you did last year. And they denied ever learning it the year before. I had their tests from the year before. I gave them back their tests. They saw that they got the questions right. And even though they had them right, they still denied that it was their test paper. Even when it was good, they said, no, that must not be mine, because I never heard of least common denominator. So, understand. So, how do we increase? The gap is memorization versus understanding. How many times have we taken courses and only remembered a teeny bit of that college course in philosophy? Let me have this, com this comedian ex tell, you, tell you the experience that I believe you'll recognize. When you memorize, don't use it, don't understand it, don't apply it. How much do you really remember? And this was made in the early 1980s, and all of these decades later, it's still the problem. I never liked the school too much, to tell the truth. I find that education, I think it don't matter where you go to school, Italy, America, Brazil, it's all the same. It's all just a memorization. And it don't matter how long you can remember anything, just so you can parrot it back for the test. And I got this idea for a school I would like to start. Something called the five-minute university. <laughs> and the idea is that in five minutes, you learn what the average college graduate remembers five years after he or she's out of school. <laughs> would the cost of like $20. <laughs> That might seem like a lot of money, $20 just for five minutes. But that's for like a tuition, <laughs> cap and gown rental, graduation picture, snacks, everything. Everything included. You know, like in college, you have to take foreign language. Well, at the five-minute university, you can have your choice. Any language you want, you can take it. Say if you want to take Spanish, what I teach you is, Como esta usted? That means, how are you? And the answer is muy bien, means very well. And believe me, if you took two years of college Spanish, five years after you're out of school, como esta usted muy bien, about all you're going to remember. <laughs> so in my school, that's all you learn. You see, you don't have to waste your time with the conjugations, vocabulary, all that the junk. You just forget it anyway, and what's the difference? Economics, supply, and demand. That's it. Business, business is you buy something and you sell it for more. Theology, I'm going to have theology department, you know, since I'm a priest, it's only right. And what you have to learn in theology is the answer to the question, where is God? And the answer is, God is everywhere. <laughs> Why? 
because he likes you. <laughs> That's a kind of a combination of the Disney and Roman Catholic philosophy. <laughs> just, it's just a perfect for the late 70s or early 80s, you know? Just a perfect. Well, after the courses are all over, then it's a time for a little Easter vacation. No time to go to Fort Lauderdale. Only lasts like 20 seconds. <laughs> but what I do for you, I like to turn on a sun lamp. You know, I give you a little glass of orange juice. That's the snack part, orange juice. And then after vacation, you know, after you swallow it real quick, then it's a time for the final exams. I say to you, como esta usted? You say, muy bien. Where is God? The God is everywhere. Economics is supply and demand. Then I put on your cap and a gown. I get out to my Polaroid the camera, you know, make a little snap and flash a picture for you. I give you the picture, you give me $20, I give you a diploma, and you're a college graduate, ready to go. So thinking back, no doubt you can think of a year-long college course, maybe it was philosophy, sociology, history, where you might remember one thing, and you're not even sure about that. So clearly memorization isn't the answer, and yet it's still highly demanded for a standardized test now. Never like a school of As much. we, the gap, oh, the gap between memorizing and understanding, that's a big gap, as you just saw. Maybe the, we memorized things in college, but we didn't establish understanding. So we had the summer slump, and each year, maybe three months are necessary to bring students back to what they learned before. There's a big problem. What do we do about it? That will come next. Here's an example, though, the gap between memorizing and understanding. Okay, I'll tell you what happens in that video. The boy comes up to the board, sees three plus two, is very puzzled. He turns around, looks at his friend in the classroom. The friend holds up five fingers. The boy then draws a hand on the board, memorizing and understanding. Just give me the answer. So let's look at our, your challenge gaps beyond. I mentioned some. Pack curriculum, memorizing demands, changing information, test demands, the inadequate time and support when we love to make units of study individualized mastery progression. Put in some of your gap challenges. You may be feeling frustrated. Perhaps you are. I'm going to guess. It's not that you're free of any challenges. I'm going to guess that Judy, you have Judy, challenges. Judy, these are the questions that the, the audience is asking. Are teachers ready to change their teaching strategies? How do we promote this philosophy? That's are teachers, the questions from the audience. What was the first point? Are teachers... Yes. Oh, are teacher, teachers, are ready, teachers to ready to change their These teaching These are two strategies. questions that came from the floor. How do we promote it? Excellent. So in this section, 
of question two. I'll translate this into the format of a gap. Teachers are not necessarily willing to change their strategies. That is something I face frequently. Why should I change? I've done this for so many years and it works. It's really hard to motivate that change unless somebody is still invested in watching active learning happen. But what I do to promote changes in people who feel, hey, I've got it right, I know I'm jumping to interventions, is I have an activity. In groups, I have people write down, what was your best learning experience? Now, think about it, but don't tell each other. What I want you to think about and share in your group is what made it so good. So these are people who don't think they need to change their strategies. But as the groups discuss what made their best learning, and it's in class or out, what made it so good, and then we share those characteristics in the room, the characteristics that they describe most of the time didn't occur in a classroom. It was when I was learning how to do camping or tying knots or dance, and the teacher or the instructor or the coach was motivated. I could see progress, it was hands-on. Over and over again, the same characteristics would come up, and I feel the insight from that that promoted the desire to change was, okay, you've had great learning experiences. How come they weren't all in a classroom? What are the things that were missing? That's one way to promote, to promote it. The, we have a couple of questions about nutrition. They uh, coincide. Nutrition and problems at school. Okay, what can we so do? Okay, so are we doing not solutions now? Yes, keep sharing your problems. Yes. After this comes interventions. They are sharing their gaps in a way. They are sharing their gaps. Yes, exactly. Yes. We have problems with nutrition. We have school. several questions on nutrition. We have problems the kids are too tired. We have problems the parents are doing the homework. What are the other problems you have? Next section is what could we do about it? What are some of the other problems? The parents are too pushy. The parents work three jobs. What else do you feel is a challenge? As you think of more, since we're coming to interventions, keep them in mind as we go to what can we do about them. More time for planning, absolutely. The, well, we're not doing interventions yet, so. Now we will, and come back to the questions. That's, that's, us. that's, the end that's excellent. Part three, gap interventions, mine and yours. How can we close those gaps? How can we provide more opportunities for individualized learning? Students making predictions how can we provide more achievable challenges for different levels of mastery? The practicalities of this, when we don't have enough prep time, when we don't have enough resources, when we don't have enough teachers and support staff. Here's some of my interventions for closing gaps. I'd love to hear yours. Predictions by all learners. The reason that's important is only the person who thinks, who makes a prediction, learns, grows the dendrites. 
The brain is programmed to want to make a prediction, given the opportunity, because it likes the chance to get the dopamine. But each individual needs an opportunity to predict. The experience in general is the teacher will ask a question, what was the cause of the Spanish-American War? Somebody raises their hand, usually the same two or three people. The teacher calls on them, they give an answer, and the teacher is sometimes phrasing the question, what is the answer, either explicitly or implicitly. So, within seconds, same people raise their hand, the teachers would say, okay, what is the answer? The other students' brains say, I'm not playing this game. I'm not going to make a prediction because I really won't have an opportunity to make a prediction. Why should I bother? Because someone will be called on and they will say the answer. So the brain is saying, don't bother with that game. You don't get to play because you're going to hear the right answer. And students don't get engaged. They don't care about the response. They don't care about the A result because they don't get to really make a prediction if they hear the answer. So every student needs a chance and the time to have an individual prediction to something that's curious, to something of question you pose individually. For example, digital tools that let them click it in or dry erase whiteboards where they can hold them up individually the way you did with predictions of the numbers and get feedback on the response without immediately hearing somebody's right answer. Or something called magic pads. These are particularly awesome because of the responses. So people my age will recognize these magic pads as something parents would give us in the back of the car on long trips. There's not a sharp point. We didn't have uh, iPhones and Kindles or pads. This was our activity, but it was kind of cool. You could write something on it, and the magic is you pick up the page and it's gone. That was magic for us. And now people would scoff at it, but even on a tiny budget without dry erase boards, you can ask a multiple choice question, they can write it down, no one's seeing it, they hold it up, they get to predict. Why is this so valuable? Again, first it's because only the brain that feels, okay, I'm gonna get to make a prediction before I hear an answer, yes. But what else is happening with individual response tools? Pretty good stuff, accountability. Somebody cannot be sound asleep when they have to click in or hold something up. They have to be awake and make a response. Wait time. We frequently would say to students, who needs more time to think about it? Even if we don't just call on the first person, does anyone need more time? And after age seven, eight, or nine, it's unlikely someone will raise their hand and say, I do, because they'll be embarrassed. They'll think that everyone else understands, and they don't. With a system of individual response, we know if they need more time, we've only seen a certain number of responses. And that lowered mistake fear, because holding it up, no one is seeing it, 
besides you and the teacher putting it right down. So individual response tools are interactive learning for each individual. Another achievable challenge is individualizing to close the gap when we don't always have the time to do it is increase awareness of the possibility of success by translating the syllabus or the textbook into something that appears achievable. So if I would, when I would look at the textbook on geology, a chapter on glacial geology, I saw the subheadings and they wouldn't have made me as a learner feel, oh, that's what I can understand and then that and then that. The progression was equally confusing. So on the first day of a unit, I would write down the syllabus in my notes or from their textbook and translate it into words that were relevant and individually recognized as achievable. So for that chapter, the section on ablation, I wrote down, I think I just lost face. For the next one, continentality. Are the ocean and I getting closer? The third one was glaciation. How long was your growth spurt? One of mine lasted 10,000 years. So I'm getting the gist. They're at least seeing these words in vocabulary that's understandable. And that made a difference. Two achievable challenge strategies for reading comprehension across the board in any subject area. Powerful. We know it increases reading comprehension. We know the principles that increase understanding what we read making predictions, activating background knowledge, personal connections, uh, evaluating, actually looking at the pictures, the charts, the maps, the graphs. We know that. Our students know that if we make them recite it. But how, where's the accountability? How are they going to really do it and see how well it works? So I had them write things on post-its. I called it no homework homework because it was a little easier, it took less time. In class, there would be a wall that had 10 prompts. I would tell them which ones to write down on their little post-its, and at home, finish the sentence on their post-its, put it in their book, and that was their homework. So for example, one post-it might say, I think you'll be telling me about. They find the part in the reading they want to put it into, they put it in and finish the sentence. Another one might be, I already know things about you, so I predict. Or, this reminds me of, now they're personalizing. This is similar to what I know learned before, activating their prior knowledge. And to get them to at least look at one, or you can give them three post-its, to look at those number of pictures, diagrams, graphs, charts, I would have preferred this chart, picture, diagram to have been done this way. So they get to say, this is not the best, this would have been better. They can either write down what would have been better, download one, draw it, but they're judging and involving. Those types of prompts are doing the things we know increase reading comprehension. Okay, this, that I take credit for, at least in my mind, for creating this one. Brilliant, definitely not mine, but look at the power of feedback and recognizing progress no matter what level they're at. 
for reading comprehension. Three colored markers, even if they don't own the books, which most don't, it's more of an activity to do in class together, but you give them a Xerox, a copied article, a complex article, a poem, a science, whatever your subject is. And they have three markers, three different color highlighters, in their seats at the same time. All they have to do is highlight what they do understand, first with one color, second reading with the second color, third reading with the third color. Think of what's happening. We think of when we highlight it's what we don't know. Now they're highlighting what they do know. So first of all, anything they're highlighting in any color is feedback. Okay, I understood that phrase or sentence. They're also definitely going to see that with each color, they highlight more. We know why. The, because they now they've read it once, they have some context clues. They're more familiar with the material. Without fail, the second time, a couple more phrases and the third time more. Now, in this case, there's a lot of change. In some cases, there'll be less. But the feedback is individual. Each individual will see more colors, which is recognition that they had more understanding and they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to look it up in a dictionary. They didn't have to get it wrong on a test. I recommend doing this first with something that is not going to be tested, just so they experience what it's like to see progress on their own and the benefit of rereading. So without you saying, look, you're getting better, they're going to have three colors, and they're going to be able to say, yeah. If you say to them, what did you do? How come there's more colors? They read it again. So increasing memory. We have to, they have to memorize. What can we do to make memorizing what they have to know, the foundational information? How can we accelerate that effectiveness? What would be two things that you could do so that what they hear, learn, see, or read sticks in memory? First, I want you to experience why the strategies are powerful. Memory, the connecting of new information, is a matter of recognizing patterns. Let me show you what I mean. Your brain stores, recognizes, and retrieves learning based on the patterns you've developed over time. So what color is this slide? White, right? Say, that, say white, it's true. White, okay. What does a cow drink? The first retrieved response is milk because as you're growing up, the pattern, the relationship, cow, milk, white, cow, milk, white, keeps being, is repeated. Yeah, you know the cows drink water, but the repetition as you're growing up, cows, milk, white, that pattern is so strong that because of neuroplasticity, every time that relationship as you're growing up is activated, it gets more myelin, its retrieval speed is much faster than the pattern you haven't rehearsed, cows drink water. Here's another example. How do you spell poke? P, excellent, and joke? 
perfect. And what do you call the white of an egg? Now you know, okay, it's the white, it's the albumin, but your brain retrieved yolk because it's a good patterning system. Without your brain's patterning, you would not be able to read. Your brain developing the recognition, I-N-G, as a suffix, allows you to read. Pattern recognition is the basis for literacy and needs to be the basis of new learning. Look how good your pattern recognition is. Don't feel bad that you're faster in cow milk white, but look what you can do because of pattern recognition. You can read this to yourself. So, automaticity, patterning, is the powerful system for taking new information that you want students to remember and linking it to a pattern of things they already know. We need to activate their prior knowledge bridges so the new has something to link to. Without that link, the new won't stay. It physically needs to link with a pattern from prior knowledge. So, the things that you already do, but doing them as often as possible or all the time, knowing that the linking of the new to the known is essential for new information to become memory. Reminding them of previous exposures, reminding them of personal connections, having bulletin boards that show the pattern. This is the topic of shapes, circles, squares, today here's triangles, showing them what is obvious to you, but in their minds, they don't really have the full concept of, of electricity or resistance or ecology, showing them how the cycle is happening or how the information progresses, links the new to the known. Analogies, this is to this as this is to this. When they link something, they're taking the new to the known. And graphic organizers, that's a really nice external brain because as they're learning and putting things in a Venn diagram or in a stem and leaf, they're connecting learning to prior learning and ongoing learning. If simply doing that before new learning is coming in will increase the efficiency of their memory construction significantly. The other one that is equally important is multi-sensory learning opportunities. The more ways something is experienced, practiced, and used and applied, the more places in the brain in which it can ultimately be stored. The new technologies such as diffusion imaging, which shows us multiple storage area connections when somebody activates what they saw and then it connects with what they heard, felt, moved. Those brain cross-connections sustain memory, make it much easier to retrieve memory. Some people will start with what they heard and then the system of other, what they saw, what they read will light up. Some people might, with the same area, remember what they did in movement. But once one of the ways it's been learned, practiced, or applied is activated, it automatically has connections to the other modalities. So that's critical, or not critical, it's a big bonus for retrieving the information. And even beyond that, 
When information is recognized, those connections are built in with multisensory learning, they can be activated and cross-communicate for applying the knowledge to new applications, to solving new problems, to innovating. And that's really what we're trying to do. So building those opportunities into instruction with things like authentic performance tasks. How are you going to use this information? Letting them in advance see ways they'll apply it or want to apply it, having choice. So if they're studying history, telling them you're getting to be a time traveler. You get to go back to the 14th, 1400th, 14th century uh, and take with you some of the things you're going to learn to limit the devastation of the Black Death. What would you take back with you? As we're learning, add to your list, what would you take back? Personally relevant tasks, if they're learning about nutrition. Okay, you can tell them we're gonna learn about the amount of energy, the healthy diet, but starting off, what is your favorite food that you'd like to eat more of? They buy into that interest, Okay, as we learn about nutrition, how could you arrange a healthy diet over a week that follows all the nutritional needs and lets you add more pizza, knowing the information of what's needed and the nutritional content of what you want, put it together. You can present it to your parents. I'll bring it to the cafeteria. That active learning Throughout the, learning, throughout the experience, turns learning into wisdom. They're building understanding, constructing understanding, not just memorizing. That type of construction of understanding is going to, we see it now on the scans, take memorizing of rote knowledge and extend it into cross-brain memory and conceptual networks that they will be able to transfer beyond the classroom when there are new problems, opportunities to innovate. They will be able to take their learning to creative innovations in the future when we don't even know what they'll have opportunities to do. So before we share for a minute or two, I want you to remember a dopamine booster. At the beginning, we saw a baby with dopamine. I mentioned that one of the boosters is optimism. Let's see if this will impress on you optimism value. There was a study where students, I believe fifth graders, were divided into two groups. One group did their math skill test, you know, 100 problems, how many can you answer correctly in five minutes? The other group had the same task, but before they started, they were told, for 30 seconds, think of the happiest day of your life. That was it, that was the only difference that they were given, 30 seconds, and the accuracy and number they solved correctly, 17% higher. So, this will help you remember optimism. I'm the grinning hitter in the world! Strike one. I'm the greatest hitter in the world! Strike two.
District 3. What wow. And the great picture in the world. Yes. Optimism. Pass it on. That should leave you with optimism to close the gaps, use what you already know. You're amazing people to begin with. You're here. It's almost six at night. Thank you. Keep it up.